Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 32 of Revelation chapter 3. And we're reading presently verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And here the Lord is addressing professed Christians in the churches and congregations. And this statement, this verse has application to individuals that profess to be Christians all throughout the many centuries of the church age and yet never were truly Christian in heart. They were never born again. And of course, at this time, in these days after the tribulation, in the day of judgment, we have a corporate church that numbers somewhere near 2 billion on the earth, the 2 billion professed Christians, and yet God is finished with them. He uh, commanded them to come out. They didn't listen. They didn't hearken or obey him. They remain. And then the Lord brought about the day of judgment, which bundled all those in the churches as tares. And yet they would insist, they would say, I am a child of God. I have all of the riches that accompany salvation. And this is what they say. But God is saying here to, to anyone at any time who claims to be a Christian, and and yet it's based upon their own work of accepting him or or the fact that they were born uh, into a Christian family or baptized or whatever it might be. Anything that has given them that understanding apart from the hand of God and creating a new heart within them. And and God is addressing everyone who professes to be his people. And he is saying, look. You don't know your actual spiritual condition. I know what you say. I know what you think. But here are the facts. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked spiritually. And, you know, it's interesting. In our last study, we saw as we looked uh, in the Bible at the word wretched that Paul, the Apostle Paul, a true child of God, thought that he was wretched. Moses also said of himself that he was wretched. So the true believers, both of those men, are saved. They're elect people. The true believer sees his wretchedness, his wretched condition, even after salvation, because we still have a physical body that is unsaved as yet. That's why the body has to be resurrected. And the child of God recognizes and admits this. Oh, yes, I'm wretched because of my sin. I'm a wretched sinner. But the individual who professes to be a child of God does not know his wretched condition, nor does he understand 
that he is miserable. Now, the word miserable here in Revelation 3.17, the Greek word is Strong's number 1652. And it's derived from 1656, which is a word that means mercy. That you you don't know that you are someone that um, is wretched and ought to be an object of mercy. Or in other words, that you are pitiful, that you uh, in in your actual spiritual condition of being dead in sin and under the wrath of God and that that wrath has come down upon you. It's a pitiful thing. People ought to pity you and have compassion on you because of your your terrible spiritual state. For instance, this word is used, this word translated as miserable in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 19 where it says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now this is being said here um, in the situation, the context is saying now if Christ was not risen if jesus did not rise from the dead then then of course no one would rise from the dead and our profession of uh, being a believer would be worthless and not only that that would mean we only had hope in this life and and therefore we would be of all men most miserable but actually that is the situation with professed Christians who aren't truly born again. It's only in this life that they have hope in Christ because they are not truly saved. And when the time comes for them to enter into the next life at death or or at the end, they will uh, be destroyed. And, And so they are most miserable. That's the point that the Lord is making in Revelation 3.17. Well, uh, let's continue reading there in that verse. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor. Now, uh, poor is a very common word in the Bible. And the Bible has a lot to say about poverty. And uh, the church has developed quite a lot of doctrine concerning the poor. And today, in our modern churches, the emphasis of many congregations is upon feeding the poor. They might open up soup kitchens, or maybe they'll open up a shelter. Certain churches get involved in that. Other churches want to build houses or or provide clothing in all physical um, physical houses, physical clothing, physical food, physical shelter. Uh, it's they think being obedient to the Bible when the Bible indicates that we are to provide for the poor, and the Bible does indeed indicate that the people of God are are to provide for the poor. But the problem is that the church's understanding is based on their own natural 
thinking. They are uh, hearing the word poor, and they are quickly looking around them and saying, oh, I understand what Jesus is talking about. I understand what the Bible wants me to do. Oh, look at the poor homeless. Look at these poor people. They don't have enough money. And in some places, there's starvation in the world. We need to correct these things. And they're incorrect. They're wrong. They have a faulty understanding of poverty. The Bible, I wouldn't say, is not concerned with physical poverty. God understands that there are physically poor and and it's the Lord who uh, works in the world to provide uh, oftentimes for people. And and he moves in other people to help in the physical realm to uh, provide clothing and food and housing and, and so forth. And God works in government also to assist in this area as the Lord is the one, the Bible tells us, that sets up the powers that be in governments. And so when governments provide their programs to take care of the poor, well, the Lord can work through that as well. But the Bible's overwhelming concern is not physical poverty. The Bible is not concerned with a person's income level or with a person's status where they fit in. The Bible is not concerned in lifting up an individual from uh, physical poverty so that they can have sufficient um, money or sufficient food or clothing and, and so on. That is not the Bible's concern. Let's look to the Bible and allow the Bible to define its own terms. Now, let's get the biblical definition of poverty. And we find probably the best verse in the Bible to describe poverty in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 10, in verse 15, where it says, The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Now, there is the biblical definition for poverty. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Now, it, it could be that, uh, or perhaps, let, let's just give an example and say a man has great earthly wealth. He has plenty of money. Houses, cars, boats, um, all sorts of riches. Yet, he is unsaved. He's an unsaved person. This, the Bible says, is his poverty. And, and that means that even though physically you, you would uh, see him very well kept, he, he has a $100 haircut and three hundred dollar shoes and and the finest of suits and the biggest of bank accounts and a mansion for a home and and on and on and on and everyone who looks at him uh, is going oh man if only i had a portion of what he has if only i had just a little bit and there's envy and 
there there's desire of others for the things that he has and certainly nobody pities that man nobody thinks that oh well woe is him but god but god god is the one and the people of god that looks at that man and says he's a poor man he's someone that that is impoverished he is extremely um in poverty and you know that's the case with the parable in luke 16 remember how the lord laid that out with the rich man in verse 19 there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. So Lazarus, he looked at the rich man, and he desired just the smallest of portions that that man possessed. And and yet now let's continue reading. Moreover, the dogs came. And licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, which we understand identifies with the grave, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. What do we read here in this parable of the Lord concerning the rich man? We're reading about his poverty. And this poverty was always present with him because he was always an unsaved person always an unsaved man but in his lifetime when he had good things when he was clothed in purple and fared sumptuously every day when people spoke very well of him when um, everyone respected him and 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 thought highly of him that poverty was covered over and could not be seen with the natural eye. That poverty was lying there the whole time. It was underneath it all, but the world doesn't see it. The world doesn't recognize it. And it's only the Lord Jesus Christ who, in giving this parable concerning these two men, is the one that is uncovering and revealing the poverty of man. Even rich men who possess a great deal of things are poor in God's sight because 
the definition, according to the Bible, of poverty is destruction. And the uh, destruction of the poor is their poverty. You know, it also says in Proverbs, in chapter 31, some interesting things that it, that go along with that other verse we read. In Proverbs 31, in verse 6, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty. Oh, so so God is talking about physical poverty. No, the previous verse said, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. That's the poverty. And let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. And in the Bible, strong drink can identify with false gospels. When today... The whole church world is a false gospel. The all of Christendom, the corporate church is a false gospel. Well, let them drink. Let them go uh, into their church each Sunday. And uh, no matter what denomination, Catholic or Protestant, Reformed or liberal, independent or uh, congregational church, let, let them go. Let them drink Presbyterian, Episcopalian and Lutheran and and let them think as they drink in this strong drink of the particular gospel of their choice that this is taking care of their poverty, that they have salvation. Let them be deceived into thinking that they're accepting Christ or their baptism as a child or their weekly church attendance or the amount of money they they give in support of their church is sufficient to get them into the kingdom of heaven. Yes, let them drink and forget their poverty. And that's what happens each Sunday and throughout the week with this world of two billion professed Christians. They're, they're just like the rich man and no one realizes the actual case, their actual situation, until it's too late, until their death, until their destruction. Well, God says, all right, let let them do that. Uh, during the day of salvation, the Lord was very much interested in sending forth the gospel that would truly rescue souls from poverty, not a gospel a perverted form of the gospel that builds people a house and, and and thinks that it's obeying Christ's command to take care of the poor, but the true gospel that was sent forth, the the word of God that was able to make a poor person rich through salvation, the spiritually poor whose destruction was their poverty as they were under the wrath of God, in a moment, instantaneously, once God blesses his word to their soul, they are made rich. They're no longer under his wrath, no more subject to be destroyed. Now they have eternal life. That is the riches that the Bible is concerned about uh, distributing and giving to the poor people of the earth. 
We read in Luke, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, this quote from Isaiah, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. This is the preaching of the gospel in the day of salvation. It was to preach the gospel to the poor, not to um, to feed them in a soup kitchen, not to build them a house. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things. If anyone wants to do that, you you can do that. But don't think that that is being faithful and bringing the gospel. That is not bringing the gospel as God intended. It is um, the bringing of the word of God that will take care of someone's ultimate poverty of soul. Well, let's just look at one last thing. And and, uh, understanding the Bible's definition of poverty as being one's destruction helps us to more fully see and appreciate what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says in verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, we have tended to think, and this is because this is the mindset pretty much over all the churches, that Christ's poverty was that he uh, was born in a stable and that he lived his life as a humble carpenter. They they weren't rich. They were just average people. And so Jesus lived a life of poverty. Well, that is not what the Bible is telling us here in this verse in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. Again, Once we understand and keep in mind the biblical definition of poverty spiritually is destruction, then this verse uh, shines uh, brilliantly uh, with information showing what Christ has done for us. Uh, Let me read it again. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty, poverty meaning his destruction, that we, because Jesus became poor for us, or to put it another way, because he was destroyed for us as he took upon himself the sins of his people, the elect, and God poured out his wrath upon those sins, destroying him in death as he died to pay the wages for them, that it is through that 
poverty, of the destruction of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we, his people, become rich. And and so that's just a, a glorious testimony of what Christ has done for our sakes, for his people, that he experienced that destruction in our place so that we do not have to be destroyed ourselves and annihilated. We do not have to perish forevermore, but we might live and we might be rich spiritually with abundant riches, treasures in heaven that are unfathomable, an unspeakable gift of salvation that the Lord has granted us is really what this verse is describing.